We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. I'm going to ask you to turn with me there to Luke chapter 4. In the early part of this year, we started looking at the Christmas story and what Jesus had done in coming to this world and how God had chosen him to come as a baby to do a mighty work to save mankind. We couldn't save ourselves. Our blood was not good enough to save us, but Jesus' blood was. We looked at uh, Jesus in those early years. He was taken to be circumcised at the eighth day in the temple. And then we don't hear anything written in the scripture for 12 years. We saw that as a 12-year-old boy, Mary and Joseph headed back to the temple to fulfill his duty as a Jewish man in Jerusalem. Uh, He was taken back there. Jesus stayed behind. His parents were unaware of that. And when they found him on the third day, they found him in the temple sitting and listening and asking questions and answering questions. And everybody marveled at the wisdom in this 12-year-old boy. A 12-year-old boy was in the preparation year to become a man in the Jewish faith. He was going through his bar mitzvah, bar the son of the commandment. And so it was a training year for Jesus. Then we have another gap in Scripture. We have still early years, but from 12 until where we are tonight, Jesus is 30 years old. And we don't know a lot of things that happened. The Bible tells us at the end of the book of John, if all the things that Jesus did, both began to do and teach, were to be written, the world itself couldn't contain all the books that would be written. So he did many, many things that are not recorded, and I believe heaven will be a joy for us to, to find out about many more of those things. But we pick up in the early years for, of Jesus' ministry here in the, the passage that, that Jared, uh, uh, Jordan read to us. Jesus is 30 years old. I always have in my heart uh, the encouragement to ask everyone to not ever underestimate our youth. Uh, Children amaze me. God gives them such intellect and they learn so quickly. And and sometimes, uh, you know, our family, five children coming home and I remember my mother Christmas, I mean, uh, Sunday at dinner, lunch would say, what did you study in Sunday school today? And we would tell her what we went over and she would want to know and we would listen. And, and it was amazing sometimes, even as little children, how much was grasped. And then our youth, our youth grow up so quickly and they have such gifts and talents given to them. My goodness, they can do so many things. Uh, I wonder about Joel's parents here. How long did it seem since he was just a little boy and, and now the man that God's used him, a husband and, and Lily the same way. Those years go by quickly. All of a sudden you see a young adult standing in front of you. And I believe that some of the key to the needs that we have in our country lie in the young adults. I truly believe that. I'm not trying to flatter them or patronize them. I want to give you an example How many of these people do you remember in the scripture? All under 30 when God called them and used them greatly. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Ruth, the apostles, Jeremiah, probably 17 when he was called, David, Joseph, Miriam, Rahab, Samuel, Jonathan, Mary, Josiah, Timothy, Solomon. I could keep going. Did you know those are all under 30? 
I think of them as old white-haired men for some reason. I don't know why. But those were all young adults that God miraculously used in wonderful stories of faith in the Scripture. In our country, the, the signers of the Declaration of Independence. I think of them as those old white-haired men. But most of them were in their 20s and 30s that pledged their lives, their fortunes for this grand experiment called America. Don't ever underestimate the young adults of our country. Every uh, revival that has taken place, did you know who was uh, used to start those? Young adults. So I believe we as a church need to be very, very thankful and focus on what God has to do through our young men and women. Jesus is 30 years old. I remember when 30 sounded so old. I didn't know people could even make it to 30. Oh, how I would love to be 30 again. Not really, but Jesus is 30. And God's going to start the ministry that Jesus came, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> came to this earth to fulfill at this time. There's no record of Joseph being around. He's probably already passed away at this time. But Mary's still here. And in verse 1, it was read to us. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now, there's a lot in that sentence right there. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that word full or filled is used many times in the New Testament. I believe this is referring to, personally, believe that this is just referring to Jesus to let us know he was full of the Spirit. You and I have a commandment to be filled with the Spirit. We've had a time that we weren't filled with the Spirit. Jesus never had a time that he wasn't because he was the Spirit of God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all one. So Jesus, not getting filled up with the Spirit or being filled by the Spirit, Jesus, full of the Spirit. And that word in the Greek actually means saturated. It, it means that it is so permeated together that it is one. You cannot tell the difference. Full of the Holy Spirit. There are people in um, early ch uh, church age history that tried to teach all kinds of, of heresies. And as I mentioned to you, I think last week, a heresy was that the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus at his baptism and, and left him at the cross. That is, that, that is anti-Bible. That is anti-Christ. There's no truth in that whatsoever. As we come to this moment where Jesus is headed into the, the wilderness, he has been baptized by John, his cousin John the Baptist. When John saw him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus said to John, baptize me. And John probably felt just like you and I would have. No, you need to be baptizing me. John had said, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. But Jesus said, baptize me, John, that the scripture may be fulfilled. In the very beginning of these early years of Jesus's ministry, we see how important the Word of God is. Jesus, who is the Word of God, always high, uh, holds the Scripture in a high state. And so we'll see that again tonight. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. 
and was led around by the Spirit. The Bible teaches us, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, different places in Romans, we are to be led by the Spirit of God. That means that God wants us to pray continually and seek his will. And, and as the Lord shows us guidance through his word, he shows us guidance in our soul. We are to be led by the Holy Spirit too. Now, when somebody goes to start their ministry, where do you think uh, the first place that he would be sent? Joel and Lily are going out and they're going to a great ministry and I know they're going to have a wonderful time and that church is going to welcome them. They're going to have parties thrown for them, I hope, and, and Jacob's going to be so excited. It's going to be a wonderful time. Get ready and look for that. Guess where Jesus' first place was sent? He was sent to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Isn't that something? I've known the church embrace me and to love me and my family, and it is such a beautiful time. But by the way, did you know that uh, for senior pastors, do you know what the average stay at a church for a senior pastor in the United States is? Three years. That's the average stay for most pastors in our country. I heard one man at a conference say, yeah, that's because the first year they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and everybody's happy. The second year, they say, watch him. And the third year, they say, crucify him. Three years, often. But it's a wonderful time when brothers and sisters are together and love their, their leaders and love their pastors and love their, uh, the people that serve in their church. It's a wonderful time. But think about that. The first place Jesus was sent is to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I want to mention a little bit to you. The devil is diabolos. It is, his name means the slanderer, the accuser. He is the liar and a murderer from the very beginning, the scripture says. He's called a dragon, a snake, the evil one, the God of this world, little G-O-D of this world. He blinds the minds of the unbelieving. He's the prince and power of the air. He's a roaring lion and he's the tempter. The devil. If anyone doesn't believe in the devil, I doubt whether you're saved or not because just like heaven is real, hell is real also. You don't hear much preaching on hell anymore. I think we ought to do that more often. Did you know there's more said in the New Testament about hell than there is about heaven? I think Jesus wanted us to know. But the very first place Jesus was sent was to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I want to tell you something about his temptation. It is not a result of Jesus being in the wrong place, running with the wrong crowd, and doing the wrong things. Have you ever gotten temptations because you were with the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong time? I have. I tell young people all the time, remember four R's. If you're out with your friends and they want you to do something that you don't want to do and you know you shouldn't do, you may be alone in a car with a, with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and there's temptations that you know you shouldn't be doing. Four different R's, remember this. Reach up to the Lord in prayer. Wherever you're at, he can hear that prayer. Read God's word. There's nobody that was going to get in my car growing up without seeing that big Bible in, in my pickup or my car because I had to have it in there. Read God's word. Reassess your weaknesses. Do you need to do that sometimes? I do. You know, I shouldn't be out here after a certain time at night alone with this girl because that's just inviting temptations. 
Reassess your weaknesses. Reevaluate sometimes and say, no, I'm gonna set a boundary up here so I don't put myself and make it easy to be tempted. Reach up to the Lord in prayer. Read God's word. Reevaluate your weaknesses. And you know what you need to do sometime when you're tempted? Run. You just need to run. I used to tell our youth group, if I see you on Saturday night running down the sidewalk, I'm gonna pick you up because I know you're running away from something you shouldn't be a part of. Jesus is not being tempted because he's in the wrong place, running with the wrong people, and given opportunity to do the wrong thing. He is being tempted because he's perfect. And there's a battle in heaven and earth going on. The first place he was sent in his ministry was so that Jesus could do battle with the enemy and defeat him for you and me. These men, I don't worship them. They know we don't do that, but I love them and I respect them because they have signed on to do battle for the church spiritually in prayer and in faithfulness and in service. Lift them up and pray for them. And what a joy it is to see Steve sitting right here and Becky. Becky, you're in this too. Do you know that? Praise God, what a wonderful couple. And I know of no, no other people more faithful than these two right here. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, when I was growing up and I read that, I thought the I watched, uh, I watched Tarzan on the weekends. And I thought the wilderness was something like the jungle. You know, it's briars and, and vines that you could swing on. And then I got to go, 2011, got to go to Israel, and we went to the Judean wilderness. Do you know what it looks like? Let's look and see if we can see. It's not briars, and it's not vines, and it's not, it's not the jungle. That is the wilderness, and there's not very much there. Look at the next one, if you will. That's from the top. This is Masada over here that was built by King Herod. And there's where the Romans built up that ramp to try to get them. That's where one of the Roman garrisons made their encampment. Do you see a lot of things planted and growing out there? No, it is rocks. It is desert. And that's where there's wild animals out there, but, but there's very few places where you could get food or trees and things growing. A little bit some places, but I was just shocked because the wilderness was not a jungle, it was a desert. So that's where Jesus is sent. This was a divine appointment. Can you could you stand up here tonight and say in part of my, your testimony, I want to tell you, Mike, God has led me in some divine appointments before. I've been at a place and met a person that I know it was God's will for me to meet because something happened that I've been praying about, they had been praying about. I know it was a divine guided appointment I have the steps of good people are ordered by the Lord the Bible teaches us here's a divine appointment now Jesus is in this place not for a wrong reason he's in this place for a good reason and it says and he ate nothing during those days how many days was it 40 days now, you can go without water. The human body can go without water for about three days, and we're in serious danger. You can go without air for about three minutes, and you're entering into danger. 
A human body can go without food for quite a while, and Jesus is going to do it for 40 days. How many of you have ever uh, fasted before? Fasting is not an old-fashioned thing. To deny eating food to your body while you seek God in prayer. I remember Tommy saying one time, he tried fasting, not eating. He said, worst three hours of his life. Jesus is going to go 40 days without eating any physical food. Why do you think that's going to happen? Because Jesus is going to fight a battle not using his heavenly power, his divine strength and ability. He's going to fight it like you and I would have to. That's why he's our high priest. He was tempted with every infirmity of the flesh, the scripture says, yet without sin. He didn't say, well, I'm just going to command my stomach to be full. I just ate a chicken fried steak, but you can't see it. No, he did not avail himself. He emptied himself, the kenosis, Philippians chapter 2. It didn't mean Jesus gave up his divinity or his supernatural power. He just didn't use it so that when you and I go through temptations, we can know that he did it just like us. I want you to see that there's a victory and it's not in some supernatural heavenly power miracle that takes place. It's something spiritual that I can show you to do. So I believe that Jesus was going to get to the weakest a human body could get. I believe he is as weak as a human could get out there in that Judean wilderness. By the way, in those two pictures, do you know how much rainfall they get a year? One inch. One inch. And it comes down so quickly from those mountains sometimes. It floods so much it's been known to, to knock buses off of the road. It comes down so quickly because it doesn't soak in the ground. That Masada, if you want something interesting, go home and watch a movie or study about it. Uh, I think it was over a little over 1,000 or 900 and something Jews lived up there on Masada. That was a place that Herod built so that when Rome attacked Jerusalem, he could go and hide there. He never got there. But if you look at that mountain and you see pictures, they have trenches that are dug all the way around that mountain in the Judean wilderness. And those trenches catch water. When it rains, the water gets in those channels and it runs down and they have cisterns that are dug in the side of that mountain. The water runs in there and that's how they have water for 900 and something people who, by the way, committed suicide when the Romans came. But that's how they lived in that barren place. Jesus goes 40 days. Literally, how long have you gone without eating before? You get sick. You get uh, cloudy in your mind. You hurt. You might get nauseated. A lot of different things happen to you. If you've been in the hospital with a surgery sometime, how valuable are ice chips when you haven't had anything to drink for a while. Pretty valuable, aren't they? Jesus is hungry. The scripture says there in the last of verse two, when they had ended the 40 days, he became hungry. And that's when the old devil decided to attack. And the devil said to him, I don't know how he talked to him, same way Jesus could talk to him, I suppose. But the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. 
few facts about that. That word if in Greek, a lot of times uh, there are words that are interchangeable. If and ought by or with, if I can remember my Greek. Uh, sometimes can be translated interchangeably. In this case, many, many uh, commentators believe that this really means since you're the Son of God uh, because Jesus knows he's the Son of God and certainly Satan knows he's the Son of God. There's no question about that. But whatever, uh, whatever is in the mind of Satan, remember Satan is not all-knowing. He's not all-seeing. He can't foretell the future. He is a limited being. He may be trying to make Jesus as a human doubt. I don't know. But he said, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, Jesus is going to be tempted in some ways you and I are not. He's going to be tempted greater than what you could, I, I could be tempted. Because as I moment, mentioned a moment ago, he has divine power. He could have answered every one of these miraculously. You and I can't tell a rock to become Mrs. Baird's bread. Jesus could have. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Uh, it's interesting also if you take down notes, there's going to be three different temptations here and many people believe that they correspond to what the apostle John wrote in, uh, in his writings and the letters that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life are the things that we face. Do not love the world or the things in the world because that's what it is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And some people think this is the lust of the flesh wanting bread so badly. The lust of the eyes is going to show him all the kingdoms of the world. And then the prideful, sinful pride jump down off this place and God will come down and do a miracle and rescue you. I'd argue that it does fit with that. And Jesus answered him, it is written. If you don't get anything else here tonight before I close in a few minutes, please get those three words. The power is not in our physical strength. It's not in our intellect. It's not in our education, not in our money. It's not in any kind of thing that we have fleshly advantage. The power to live a godly life, to say no to the enemy, and to say yes to God is found by the Holy Spirit that led Jesus to that wilderness and is found in God's Word. The Bible teaches us the preaching of the cross is the power that God uses to save people's lives. The preached Word. I could stand up here and tell you stories and illustrations. You might laugh. You might not laugh. You might think some are interesting. You might think that's the most boring thing I've ever heard. I can't change your life and you can't change my life. Do we give testimonies? Absolutely. And I asked you two weeks ago, would you pray about God bringing somebody in your life so they can hear your testimony? Because it's valuable. I hope you've done that. But it's the word of God. The power. Jesus said in John 6, 63, these words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they're life. You may be here tonight and you say, I need help. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to be a Christian. I fail over and over again. Maybe you're listening online here tonight and you're saying, is there any hope for me? I want to tell you there is. You can't be a Christian in your own strength. I have tried. I wanted to be the best Christian that ever lived. And the more I tried by my own abilities, the worse I got. 
And finally, God let my eyes open a little bit to see that apart from him, how much can I do? Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with him, he can do that in us. And that's why we rejoice and we come to church and we thank him and we sing those great songs. That was a good song, the new one you led us in here tonight. Jesus answered him, it is written. You don't have to get, by the way, somebody else's book at Mardell. He just went right back to the Bible. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Deuteronomy 8.3. Jesus quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. I cannot overemphasize that. The power is in the word of God. Now, Jesus, this first temptation was, was asked to display his deity and his power. And essentially, he's asked to do it another way than the way God wants. Do God's will, but do it in a different way than God told you to. You remember in the Old Testament when the Jericho walls were huge and thick and Israel was supposed to take over Jericho and God told them to have these trumpets and blow the trumpets and march a certain around, uh, number of times around that city. What if the Israelites would have said, you know, I don't like the trumpet. I think we ought to, I think we ought to just blow trombones. They have a richer sound and we can really use that slide and we can just make it. We don't tell God what his commandment is. We listen to his commandment and we do it just like he says it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, he could have been tempted to think, well, if God really loved me, if my father loved me, he'd give me food. I'm hungry out here. He could have thought, Lord, have you left me? Father, have you left me? I'm here. It's lonely out here. It might be frightening, probably hot in the daytime, cold at night. All the things that could happen in a desert climate. And the devil tempts him. You're hungry. I know you are. Just turn that rock into bread. Do it another way than what God is doing for you. Psalm 8411 will change your life. God will withhold no good thing from them that walk uprightly. If you're walking with him and something is withheld, it's either not good, not best, or not time. Don't settle for the world's way to do something. Jeroboam could have had wonderful things, but he said, I'm not going to wait on God. I'm going to build two altars up here in the north, and y'all come worship up here. I'll do it a different way than God said, and it didn't work out for him. So the first one is there. He is deathly hungry, and that's where the enemy tried to get Jesus, to doubt God's love, to doubt his provision, provision. And to get him to sin. But Jesus didn't. He trusted the power and the word of God. Next in verse 5. He, the devil, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Some people have thought, how in the world could that happen? What a miracle that was. And it would be to see all the kingdoms of the world. We're living in an age right now where technology. How many people saw that football player get hit in his chest? And collapse on the field. How many people do you think? How many millions of people saw? And I hope that you started praying just like others did. And we're thankful that he's doing well. We're living in an age right now that God could allow technology if he wanted to. To see something instantly. But in this case. 
Jesus saw all the kingdoms of the world. Now, who do those kingdoms belong to? The devil made a little boast here. He said, the devil said to him, I'll give you all this domain and all its glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Have you ever known somebody that bragged a little bit about what they had? They want you to know who they are, who they know, what they have. Well, that's what the devil's doing. He really didn't have control of all the kingdoms of the world. He is called the God of this world because he has influence. God has allowed influence in this world, but the, this world doesn't belong to the devil. He's trying to give something or offer something to Jesus he can't, he can't provide. Do all those kingdoms belong to Jesus? Is God going to give them to his son? Absolutely. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no kingdom that does not belong to Jesus. But Satan here is trying to say, I just want you to come do it my way. If you'll just fall down and you'll worship me, I'll give these things to you. Well, again, Jesus is tempted to not do it God's way. Do it another way instead of what God is telling him to do. Sometimes in our lives, life gets tough. And right now as we speak, um, things around our town, things in our church, families right now are really, really struggling. There's some people that are ill with some severe illnesses. There are people that are out in that cold right now. And I know how cold I get when it, you know, the weather just turns a little bit and some of them are out in the cold right now with no place to go home tonight. Some of them are hungry. Some little children are frightened and they don't know why their mom and daddy don't care for them like other children have mom and dads to do. There's some frightening things going on in our world right now. We need to realize that God will give us strength if we'll reach up to him and trust him. The enemy will often offer an easier way. How's that God working for you right now? Give yourself to me and I'll give you this and this and this. Don't settle for Satan's easier way. One of my dear friends is my mentor, 25 years older than I am. He's been a faithful, faithful man and uh, fell and broke his hip more than once, but this time he was in the hospital and uh, I've been with him with tears in his eyes often. I've been with him when he prayed for me and I prayed for him and we prayed for you. I've been with him when he gave me good advice, but this day I was in the hospital with him, and I was actually in the hospital with, with Vonnie right here with him. And it had been a long time that I'd seen someone that, that I was that close to in that much pain. He was crying out in agony as the waves of pain hit him. And I've never seen a face distorted any more than his listening to his cry and it broke my heart one of his best friends who was an elder also of Denton Bible this man was too in years past and he was visiting him while one of those waves of pain came to him and, and he cried out in that agony and they know each other very very well so don't misunderstand what I'm about to say but his dear friend after one of those waves of pain passed he said well what do you think about your God now and my mentor, my brother, 
elder of Denton Bible Church said, God is so good. He keeps his word. I love him, and he's better than ever. That pain was not going to rob the fact that God is still who he said he was. I love that. A man with muscular dystrophy stands in the pulpit and preaches, and he can't speak very well, but he's very effective. And some people ask him, David, when you get to heaven, are you going to ask God why? And he said, yes, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why have you been so good to me? Oh, Jesus is suffering right now in temptation, but he's, he's taking on the devil for you and me. He's tempted to not do it God's way. He's tempted to take an easier way. He's tempted to settle. Some of you young people right now, you're dreaming ahead of a spouse, a wife or a husband or, and jobs in and, and your future. I just want to encourage you, don't settle. Don't settle for anything less than what God has for you. Well, I've been a bridesmaid so many times. Good for you. You got a lot of good pictures to look at. Don't worry about how old you are or anything. Just don't settle for less than God's best, and you'll never regret it. Verse 7, therefore, if you worship before me, it'll all be yours. I can give it to you. He's not really able to. But Jesus answered him. Look at those three words again. It's written. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. That's an offensive weapon that we fight against the enemy and against temptation with the sword of the spirit. Therefore, if you worship me, uh, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's what our friend said. God is good. Even though I'm in pain and I'm crying out and I don't understand why I'm not getting any help, God's still who he said he was and he's such a good, good God. Deuteronomy 6, 13 and Deuteronomy 10, 20. By the way, I've given you three different verses there that Jesus answered the devil back out of Deuteronomy. What about those churches that say we don't need the Old Testament anymore? Ah, look at verse nine. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, that's probably the southeast corner of the temple that was overlooking the Kidron Valley. He's several hundred feet above the ground on that corner of the former temple that was there. Throw yourself down, for it is written. Isn't that interesting? The devil starts quoting scripture. By the way, the enemy knows who Jesus is. You know that, don't you? The devils know who Jesus is. When he would go and cast out demons, oftentimes they would cry out and say, Thou most high son of God, have you come to torment us before the time? They already know what's going to happen to them. James tells us the demons, do you believe? The demons believe and they tremble. They tremble. So the devil quotes scripture to Jesus, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. You know what he's telling to Jesus? Put God to the test. That's what he's telling Jesus to do. Put on a show, Jesus. Make God do what he said in his word. I just want to very respectfully tell you, we don't tell God what to do, amen? He tells us what to do. 
there's some denominations that want to say, if you have enough faith, you just name it and claim it and you command it and that's the way it'll be. That is not from God. That is not from God. God causes us to humbly plead and beg him. And he delights doing good things for his children. The devil wanted Jesus to put on a show, to test God, tell God what to do, move heaven. Let's see if God will keep his word or not. And Jesus said again, turning back to the word of God, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I've heard some people say, well, you shouldn't drive like that. Well, I, I'm just going to drive like I want to because I'm going to die whenever God wants me to. There's already a day set for me to die. No, you're probably going to die sooner than you're supposed to if you do that. I had a woman one time that I knew about, and uh, she went into a place of business. They checked her blood pressure. Her blood pressure was like 200 over something else. And they said, you need to get to an emergency room right now. She said, I'll just pray it down. I did her funeral a few days after that. We don't put God to the test. Don't tempt him. Every day that we have life is a precious gift of him. When my eyes open, or before my eyes open in the morning, the first thing I say every morning, by God's grace, I don't get any brownie points from you. I don't, I'm not saying that. But the first thing I say is Jesus. I want that to be the first word on my lips. And I ask him, Lord, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Would you live in me today by your strength? Would you make me strong in the power of the Lord to face this day? That's what comes out of my heart and my mouth in the morning time. Because I know I can't, but I know he can. Try making a commitment Ask the Lord what to say and to pray early in the morning. You want a great thing uh, to read for your quiet time? Psalm chapter 5. Give ear unto my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto you and I'll look up. Quiet time. Early in the morning. Psalm 5. Do it. You meet with him and he'll meet with you. Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16. The enemy was trying to get Jesus to make God put on a show, force his hand to tell God what to do. And then an interesting verse, verse 13, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until. Was the devil through trying to tempt Jesus? Nope. He was coming back again someday. He left him until an opportune time. The enemy was not through with Jesus, and he's not with us either. I want to reiterate the fact the devil can't make you, if you're a believer, do anything. The only thing you can be influenced is if you listen to him. And you don't have to listen to him. Say no to him. In fact, the scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You don't have to be afraid of him. He's afraid of you because who that lives inside of you. There are some people that think the enemy is not real. Demons are not real. The devil is not real. I've got a great friend 
I get to go, uh, got to preach in his church not long ago. He, we have uh, lunch together often. Um, I get to be with him at a conference uh, one, at a certain time of the year. He was witnessing one time in, a, in an area of a city, and he went down a street, and a man was leaned up against the wall. And as my friend there is sharing about Jesus, that man, in a very strange voice, spoke out to him, and he said these words, What's inside of me? doesn't like what's inside of you. You and I do not need to be afraid of the enemy. He's a defeated foe, but he's real. He's real. And all you have to do, we don't tell the devil what to do. All you have to do is ask Jesus to take care of him and he'll do that for you. Isn't that good? The devil left him until an opportune time. He's going to come back again. But he's a defeated foe. And then verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Peter wrote later on, After you've suffered a little while, God will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, one version says. After you've suffered a little while. You may say to me, Mike, I've suffered a lot longer than a little while. It may feel like that, but hold on. Because God can say, time's up. You don't have to suffer anymore. And he went back to his hometown in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogue and was praised by all. Jesus got a good homecoming when he went back home. Now, right now, the cowboys, don't tell us from back there. The cowboys are either getting beat. I used to say whenever I called my wife and I wasn't home, I'd say, who, uh, who do the cowboys get beat by today? That's not a very good, loyal uh, cowboy fan, is it? They're probably either getting beat or they could be winning right now. We don't know. You may say, I've already checked my phone. I do know. Don't tell anybody else. But I want to tell you something. There was no battle ever in the history of mankind like the battle we read about tonight. Life and death, heaven and hell, Good and evil, the power of God and the power of Satan. And Satan was defeated, and he'll be defeated every day in your life too, as long as you reach up to the one who said it is written. I have a little note in my office that said, a saint on his knees need never retreat. Because Jesus does the fighting for us. If you know what I'm talking about here tonight, you've got a smile on your face and you've got thankfulness in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. If you don't know, talk to some of us before you leave. This is the early years of Jesus' ministry. And what a beginning. Don't underestimate the value of young adults. Jesus was a young adult. We will be tempted to doubt God's love or his provision or his will or his time. Don't do it. Trust him no matter what it looks like, sounds like, or what others say it is. There's great power in the word of God. It is written. And the way we can uh, access that power, we got to know it. That's what you're doing here tonight. You're in church. You got to know the word. You got to love the word. God has a plan for you. Just like he had a plan for his own son, Jesus, he's got a plan for you. Wait for it. Obey him. Do it God's way. Don't settle for something less. 
Don't ever try to force God's hand. Don't pray and tell him what to do. It will not work out well for you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And enjoy the easy times. Enjoy the easy times. Joel and Lily, you're going to have some good times where you're headed. And we're going to be embracing you and lifting you up in prayer. Excited for you. I know. And God's going to use you to bring souls into the kingdom of God. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your love for your church. Jesus won the battle. Oh, I'm so glad he did. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you tonight in gratefulness and thankfulness for the fact that Jesus is the victor. It didn't matter what Satan tried to do, whether he tempted him with uh, pride, trying to get him to be prideful, he wasn't. Trying to get him to be uh, force your hand, Father, he wasn't going to do it. Trying to get him to satisfy a physical desire because he was so hungry and put that above your will, he wasn't going to do it. And the enemy tries to harm us too, Lord. But we thank you that you win. I pray for everyone here in this room tonight. Lord, I, I do lift up Joel and Lily to you and, and all of their families. Would you bless them and let this be a sweet time in the ministry for them. There'll be tough days, but you're tougher than all those days. And I just thank you for their love for your church and for the service that they have given in this place. I thank you for Steve and Becky here tonight, Lord. What an honor it is to tread out the grain with them and to see, Lord, you advancing him as an elder of the church and to know that they will be faithful, having been for many, many years, praying for your people and for your church. Oh, Lord, thank you for this sweet time. And although there'll be tough times and tough decisions that they have to be a part of, let it also be with Lord, wonderful times of thankfulness for the calling you've placed on his life. And now, Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's not saved, would you do battle? Would you do battle with the enemy? Would you do battle with their old sinful nature? Would you do, be, uh, do battle with doubt or fear or anything that would keep somebody from calling on your name? And would you let them? Because it is written Call on the name of Jesus. For whosoever, it is written, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Please hear our prayers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.